Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Welcome to the Independent Women's Forum podcast, She Thinks. I'm Inez Stepman with IWF, and I'm excited to introduce you all to our guest today. Harmeet Dillon heads up her law practice at the Dillon Law Group after an illustrious legal career. She's the former vice chairwoman of the California Republican Party. We've got that to commiserate about um, as conservatives in the Bay Area in a minute here. Uh, but uh, she was also the national committee woman for the Republican National Committee for California. She was a board member of the ACLU for a time and is one of the leading lawyers in what we're going to be discussing today, these new waters surrounding big tech companies and censorship. You may also recognize her from Fox News, where she's a frequent guest. Welcome to She Thinks, Harmeet. It's lovely to have you with us. Happy to be here, Inez. So let's start with the, the basic question. Is it in our heads or, or are conservatives or right-leaning voices being treated unfairly or unfairly censored on social media platforms? Well, I don't think it's in our heads. Um, I personally, as somebody who's engaged in litigation with a couple of these tech companies, I get a lot of phone calls and emails and requests for assistance at my law firm. They're all from conservatives. Now, when I've discussed this issue with a couple of my friends who work as lawyers at these big tech companies, they've assured me that actually many liberals also complain about this type of censorship, but I've never heard or seen the volume of examples that we see on the right. So I actually do think that there's a significant anti-conservative bias. So this area is an interesting one because I don't think that conservatives have really solidified around some sort of clear policy answers to this problem. Let's let's say that um, I think there's broad acknowledgement that this is a problem on the right, but it, it puts at odds some of our, our principles about limited government, about regulating private companies. Um, I don't think there's really been a, a coalescence around a particular set of solutions on the right. Um, what are some of the ways you think both from the, the lawsuit angle that, that you frequently work and then from the policy side that free speech advocates can attack this cultural problem of, of voices being censored in what has become one of the or if not the most important forum for discussion in this country? Well, you're absolutely right that there is no uh, consensus that is built around what the solutions are. And many conservative intellectuals at think tanks and even attorneys and law professors say that there is no problem. These are private companies, and as they're private companies, they can do whatever they want to us. Um, and so the solution should be to form your own Twitter, your own Facebook, your own Google, your own Chrome search engine. Now, uh, as you and I know, as a practical matter, that's nonsense. Uh, the economies of scale do not permit that. I think what we're seeing here is behemoth companies that have grown very powerful with the benefit of a protectionist policy from our government called Communications Decency Act. Communications Decency Act has a provision, Section 230, that was passed during the um, Clinton-Gingrich uh, era in Congress in the 90s, and, and the, the goal was to protect these uh, the, this, this then new platform of the Internet from being 
sued out of existence by people who didn't like what they saw there. And so the premise is that if you uh, are, a, are a hosting platform back then, it might have been AOL or something, uh, and, and somebody did something tortious by sending something defamatory or whatever through the, the Internet platform, that they would be um, they would be immune. Now, today, Communications Decency Act 230 is being used as a shield by these companies to protect themselves from lawsuits from people who are, are like one of my clients, Megan Murphy, a, a feminist who's alleged that she has been removed from the platform through uh, for, for for her views on transgender issues. Uh, they they claim they can't be sued for just about anything. And so I would say now that these industries are established, these companies are established, we actually remove that protectionism and put them on the level playing field with other media platforms like like Fox News, as you mentioned, or like the New York Times or other newspapers. So I think that's one thing that we could do is get rid of the protectionism. Another thing that could be done uh, that many lawyers and scholars have looked at is antitrust enforcement. So just as we had the new industry of the railroads in our country and they had monopoly power and they squeezed out their competitors with anti-competitive practices. Um, so, too, we have the same thing. And there have been numerous um, commentaries, including on the left, from there was a great New York Times uh, magazine article about this, how Google, for example, uh, throttles its competitor search engines, small local search engines, et cetera. Um, there has been commentary about how Facebook has been allowed to buy Instagram and dominate uh, the market of uh, microblogging and and um, and f- photography search. And so, um, using that traditional tool would be a good one. And then finally, one that I have used in the courts is traditional lawsuits on uh, breach of contract on terms of service. And I also have suggested that our Federal Trade Commission get involved to enforce our laws against false advertising. Um, and and others, and then there are potential areas of potential new um, new legislation. So, for example, it's currently illegal for our broadcast networks to discriminate against political candidates in the placement of ads, and they even mandate equal time. Uh, we need a similar regulation with respect to these big tech companies that regularly discriminate against the placement of ads by conservative politicians right around an election when it's too late to run into court and do the, do what I do, which is sue these companies. So that's some of the array of tools that I see, and I'm sure there are many others we could think about as well. That, so so your contention, I think, is that this is, and in some of your, your appearances on Fox and some of the things you've written in the past, is that this is an issue that's critical to deal with now before the election because it could have a huge impact on the 2020 election. Is that right? Uh, it will have an impact. I believe it's already having an impact on the ability of critics of certain politicians to be able to be seen and heard. And so absolutely, I think it is time now. And, you know, some politicians see it as well. So Ted Cruz, for example, has suggested that we tie that Communications Decency Act 230 immunity to a platform being neutral in its application of its rules. So not opposing some external standard, but just saying if you have some standards, then apply them neutrally. And if you don't, you don't get the shield protection of this immunity law. Well, that sounds reasonable. So I'm one of those folks. I'll, I'll uh, you know, admit that I have some um, maybe reservations about, especially about the antitrust. I mean, American antitrust law is much different from European antitrust law and, and the definition of consumer harm. 
um, so I'm sure you know much better than I do, uh, is, is narrower and, and more difficult to meet. And that's generally been, I think, um, a, a free market force for the good. Um, but some of these other things that, I, that you've suggested, I think, are, are really um, innovative policy. I think that's the type of thing that conservatives need to, to be willing to look at, because as you say, this is this is definitely something that is going to affect not just our elections, but our discourse, right? Our, our ability to actually look at ideas as a democracy, as a people um, who, you know, are going to go out and vote and choose our leaders to actually have a robust and full discussion in our, our tradition of our First Amendment. Um, so I mentioned before that you're a fellow lonely Bay Area conservative. So I, I actually grew up in, in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto. Um, I think we both know the political leanings or the average political leanings of the folks who actually work at most of these tech companies. Um, they're, they're, they range from left of center to extremely, extremely far left. They're really um, the, the ecosystem, the political ecosystem of both the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley in particular. And then within these companies and within these industries itself is, is very far left. I know you represent James Damore in his lawsuit against Google, um, which fired him for the memo on women in tech that we all saw circulated in the news a, couple, a year and a half back or so. Um, is that the underlying problem here, that the, the people who work at tech companies tend to be so overwhelmingly left that it creates a monoculture where they don't often see how one-sided they really are in the application of the rules, right? If we were to do something like um, what Ted Cruz suggested, and tie some of these protections to the neutral application of self-imposed rules, um, would they even be able to, because some of these, these applications have, at the end of the day, a human component. A human subjective person has to look at, you know, a comment from somebody on the right on Twitter and a comment from a similar account on the left on Twitter. And um, it's, there's a subjective component to this. And at the end of the day, if there is this ideological monoculture at these companies, I mean, how will that all, all work out? Yeah, so I think it is that is part of the problem, and people are policy. That's an old cliche, but I think it is true. So the tens of thousands of workers at these tech companies who implement the policies these companies announce and enforce are part of the problem. As you correctly pointed out, they are overwhelmingly liberal here in the Bay Area, which is still where most of these companies have the bulk of their workforce. But secondly, you know, these individuals, these worker bees, if you will, they are simply implementing the law, the rules, the laws, and the norms of these platforms that are uh, designed and imposed from the top down. So many of us who um, watch Tucker Carlson's show have seen uh, videos uh, and, and audio that came out of Google from, day, from the days after the 2016 election where you saw the top management, the C-suite of Google, yes, you saw executives crying about the election. And, um, you know, some of those people, including the chief financial officer of Google, were rumored to be lined up for the cabinet of Hillary Clinton. And so they were personally invested in, in this issue. They, the, the, the wealthier executives of these companies are overwhelmingly donors to Democratic candidates. You see them holding fundraisers there, you know, today, in today's Robert Barron world, these folks are equivalent to the Hollywood stars or the or the um, or the monopolist uh, uh, train barons or oil and gas barons of, of yore. And they're the ones who who hold the fundraisers, who start the packs, who raise the money, who make it glamorous. 
Um, and, and, and these people are all lined up behind the Democratic candidates. And so, and so, you know, those young eager beavers who want to rise through the ranks and become plutocrat billionaire executives, they mimic their bosses and they follow those left-leaning um, dictate, dictates. And in, in the James Damore case that you mentioned, you look at the some of the attachments that come from inter, um, you know, company-wide communications at Google, and they're openly uh, vicious towards people who hold conservative views. And I don't mean people who supported Donald Trump only. I mean people who are Republicans. And so that definitely um, explains some of it. But but on the other side, um, you know, I, I think it's just fashionable generally among intellectuals in the United States to be liberal. And so uh, all of and these people definitely fancy themselves as uh, creating a brave new world out there for for communications. And 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 in recent months, you've even seen some of these tech barons who go into front of Congress and swear under penalty of perjury that they're not censoring. And then they go out on uh, podcasts and radio and TV appearances and say, well, we can't afford to be neutral anymore because, of course, look how bad Mr. Orange is and look how bad Donald Trump is and we, we can't allow this. And so, so they're actually confessing that they are censoring and who they're censoring are the people on the right who, um, who support uh, Donald Trump today, but uh, in the future it will be anybody who espouses conservative views based on the trajectory I'm seeing. So I know that you focus on big tech, but um, has this attitude that you're describing um, expanded beyond the tech companies, right? So, or I guess at least in different tech companies, not just social social media. So I've noticed in my inbox recently that both Uber and Lyft have published new terms of service that hint on hint at sort of what riders should or shouldn't say. Now they don't go so far as you know explicitly saying you can't say X, Y, and Z, but they recommend against saying certain things, and the phrasing makes me a little suspicious. Um, there have also been reports of bank accounts being closed and money transfer companies refusing service to some of the more fringe characters on the right. Um, and again, that's usually where these things start, right? It starts with somebody totally unsympathetic, like Alex Jones, where most people are like, okay, that guy's a little crazy. Um, but it starts out with those and then moves towards the more mainstream conservatives, uh, we also saw, of course, in a totally different area of law, right, this this push to say that if you bake cakes or you have a wedding venue and you are a religious Christian or, or Jew and you don't want um, to endorse gay marriage with your work, um, that we've seen those First Amendment cases work their way through the courts. I mean, these seem to me, to some extent, all be similar in the way that it's about pushing those with views contrary to the left ever-evolving cultural standards out of the public square in some way, saying it's, it's harder to operate a business, it's harder to open a, keep a bank account, it's harder to make yourself heard on social media. I mean, is, is there something underlying that's happening among the, the I guess, in, in the ideology of the left that's moving to this point where we can't live and let live? Well, there's the ideology of the left, which on the one hand wants to force businesses such as wedding calligraphers, bakers, and cake decorators to um, adopt the most extreme visions of cultural and religious and social uh, self-identification of the left. At the same time, those speakers, those business owners are not allowed to express their views at all 
in the large um, social squares of social media. And and I want, want to point out that the United States Supreme Court has actually ruled in a couple of different rulings that, yes, Twitter and yes, Facebook are public forums. So they're public forums for purposes of states that try to ban uh, sex offenders from using social media as part of their probation. The United States Supreme Court has said in, in one of its decisions, the Packingham decision recently, that that's illegal. Uh, and uh, courts have banned people, including our president, from um, unfollowing or blocking certain people during the course of their holding a public office because it freezes those people out from seeing what that politician is writing or thinking. So so we have very uh, fractured standards. There's no consistent standard across these 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 platforms. But, um, you know, to, to your point about uh, financial services industry companies, that it isn't just the fringe, in my opinion. And I, you know, I represent uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center and David Horowitz is a very well-known conservative speaker who has been in uh, public life for, for, for decades. He, his entity has been dropped by their um, their investment banking firm where they invest the proceeds that donors give them. Uh, one of his colleagues in his nonprofit has been banned from using Patreon to raise funds. Uh, they were also temporarily blocked from MasterCard. So, so this is not just Alex Jones' fringiness or you know Proud Boys, who some people don't appreciate. It's actually mainstream conservatives. And so, so what I think is missing here, Inez, is the concept of a conservative civil rights movement, of conservatives using the courts and using the levers of power to protect our civil rights and our viewpoints, and the viewpoints indeed of all Americans or people outside the mainstream. So, um, you know, one would argue, again, one of my clients is a, is a radical feminist who believes that transgenderism has actually decreased the power of women to define their spaces and their voices and their, um, their peculiar um, biological prerogatives. And and so it is a really, I mean, at some levels, it's actually insiders versus outsiders. And, and the outsiders are the conservatives and the outsiders are people who rail against the orthodoxy of some of the um, of the far left, um, such as this uh, transgender movement. Well, that's definitely food for thought and perhaps to action in the future. Harmeet, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for joining us at She Thinks, the podcast for women and men who are sick of the spin in today's news cycle and are seeking the truth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.